Thanks for joining us online today. We're really glad you're with us. Yeah, Core Church is a place of hope, healing, peace, and purpose. And we want you to come see us at 10 a.m. any Sunday. And if we can be of any support to you, we'd love to connect with you. There's lots of links in the description below, whether that's prayer or support in any way. We pray that this message is going to both encourage you and inspire you. If you're new here, I'm glad you're here. My name is Paula. I'm one of the pastors here. And you have walked in to an ordinary place. But when we worship like we just did, this ordinary place becomes holy ground. That's what we're talking about today. Our sermon series right now is Holy Ground in Ordinary Places. And we're talking about those daily moments that we have in our daily devotion time where we just have an ordinary place that we sit with Jesus. A chair in the living room or the dining room table, a desk or the back porch. But when we meet with Jesus there, that ordinary place becomes holy ground. If you'd remain standing for just a few minutes, we're getting ready to read scripture. We're going to be in John chapter 4, if you want to get a head start. If you don't have a Bible, a couple of great apps to use are Bible Hub and YouVersion. YouVersion is the app that Evan was talking about in the, in the video that he uses, that the church uses each week for our devotional time. If you're new to scripture, the story that we're going to read is about Jesus traveling through the area of Samaria. Now he's traveling, he's, he's tired, so he sits down by this well called Jacob's Well. He's tired, he's weak, he's weary. And the Samaritan woman comes up to draw water from the well. And Jesus asks her to give him water. Now what's interesting about this story is the town that she's from is called Sychar, and Sychar means confusion. And the Samaritans, they were a, they're a, a confused people. They were Jews, but they had intermarried and they had brought in a lot of pagan beliefs. So they knew God, they knew about Him, but they didn't really know Him. And they didn't really know where or how to worship Him. Today, we are talking about the well of confusion. In John 4, verse 10, starting in verse 10, this is a conversation between Jesus and this woman at the well. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. 
Father, we thank you for this word, this message that you have for us today for this sermon series of just understanding that when we meet with you, that that place becomes holy ground. So, Father, we declare right now that this is holy ground, and we open up ourselves, our hearts to receive from you, and our ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, most of you know that I am married to the coffee bar, coffee bar guy, Curtis. But what you might not know is that in his spare time, he's a race car driver. This has been a hobby of his since we were teens. We have a picture of us in the early years. <laughs> now, back then, Curtis made me his crew chief which I was super excited about because that meant that I got to go into the pits. That's the infield where all the action happens. That's where you change the tires and beat out the dents and talk smack to the other drivers. <laughs> but the problem was that I was his only crew. He didn't have anybody else <laughs> to help. It's obvious I am small, I am weak, and I know nothing about cars. So if something happened to his car, like if he got a flat tire or something, he would have to come into the pits, climb out of the car, fix the tire, climb back in the car, and go back onto the track. But you know, it didn't bother him when he, when he made me the crew chief that I, I didn't know enough about cars because that wasn't what he had in mind. He had something completely different in mind. This is what he had in mind. He just wanted me to look good. <laughs> but it has been a dream of his all of our years for me to race with him. Over the years, he's probably asked me over a hundred times to race with him. And I have said no consistently over a hundred times. I mean, look, I like adventure. I have been on a jet ski with him. I have been on a four-wheeler with him. I have been on the BA with him. <laughs> but anything involving a fire suit, and I'm out. <laughs> Recently, the, one of the tracks opened up for hot laps. It's just some practice time. So I went out to the track with him just to hang out with him. And he asked me again, you want to ride with me? And I thought, you know, I could use a really good sermon illustration. <laughs> so after a hundred times, I said yes. <laughs> this is why scripture tells us to keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. So we get out to the track and we get all geared up. Here we are, about to roll. Still looking good. But let me tell you about this experience. I didn't like anything about it. <laughs> I didn't like my outfit. I didn't like the helmet. It smashed my bangs. I had to climb in the window to get into the car. Actually, that really kind of feels cool. <laughs> 
But here I am, I'm, I'm in this fire suit, I'm in this helmet, I'm inside a roll cage, and they're strapping me with this, this four-point harness belt thing. And Curtis is on one side of me, and his buddy's on the other side, and they're strapping me in. And his buddy says, look, I gotta show you something here on your belt. This is called the safety release. If you flip upside down, what? You, you gotta pull the safe, what? <laughs> Have you ever had this experience where you're, where you're like, you started a new job or on a new campus and it sounded like a good idea? You thought it was gonna be fun? But then it doesn't turn out the way you thought. It's more work than you thought, or it's harder than you thought. And you think, what have I done? That's how I felt. What have I done? So I looked at Curtis and I said, you're going to go easy on me, right? You're not going to scare me, right? He says, oh, yeah, you're going to be fine. Who am I kidding? There's no easy in racing. He put his foot to the floor and did not let up. We're going down the, the straight, straight away and up ahead, all I can see is the concrete barrier of the turn. I'm thinking, we're going, if he doesn't make that turn, we're gonna go straight into that barrier. And I have seen drivers do that. I have seen drivers hit the barrier. And I know that the car is built to protect us. But that's not what I'm thinking in the moment. I, I have no control over this situation. And I'm thinking, I'm going to die before I get to preach this. <laughs> so I start doing this which everybody knows is the signal for slow down. You do that with God? Hey God, can you just slow me down? Life has gotten out of control. I, I'm doing too much. I've taken on too many projects. I've got too much on my plate. Can you just slow me down? But we don't slow down and it gets worse. Now, Curtis obviously doesn't understand sign language. <laughs> See, I didn't understand the concept of hot laps. Okay, I think this is practice time. We're going to go around a circle a few times. It's all going to be good. But a hot lap to a race car driver is a time to test the car. It's a time to see what can this car do on this track. And do you know how they test the limits? By pushing the limits. So he's got to push the limits of this car to see how far can I push it before it loses control. Every parent of a two-year-old or a teenager understands this concept. But we're, we're going uh, into this turn and the back end does this. It fishtails. Man, I am grabbing a hold of the, the roll cage, and I'm thinking, this is it. 
We're going to be pushed up against the wall. We're going to spin out of control. We're going to flip over. Every Bible verse I know is coming out of my mouth. God, you're my protector. You're my fortress. What the enemy means for evil, you will turn to good. But we come out of that turn, and now we're heading down the straightaway, and now he's riding the high end of the track, which means that we are just inches away from that concrete barrier. And it's on my side. This is now a crisis on top of a crisis. You know that feeling when one thing after another keeps happening and you're just like, when is this going to be over? When do I get my life back? Doesn't, doesn't this sound like life? Like you are going the down straight away, everything's great, you're living your best life, full speed ahead. And life takes a turn. And you're driving down the road and, and your transmission blows and you don't know what to do, your, your mind goes into a state of confusion. Like, how am I gonna fix this? How am I gonna pay for this? I can't deal with this right now. And you feel pushed against the wall. Or maybe you thought everything was just fine. And you get blindsided. You go into work and you get laid off or you get fired. And it's confusing because I'm a good person. I do a good job. How can they do this to me? And life spins out of control. Sometimes you just get flipped upside down. Your parents sit you down and they tell you, we're getting a divorce. You don't know where to turn. You can't think straight. It's not fair. And you're so confused. And this is where we find this, this woman. She has made bad decisions in her life. She's had five husbands. She's now living with a man she's not married to. And she's considered by her village as an outcast. She's a loner. She's isolated. She's not even at the well located inside her village. See, the women of the time, they would gather around the well in the village. In the early mornings, it was a social time for them. But she goes outside of the village alone to Jacob's well. This is exactly where the enemy wants her. He wants her alone. He wants her isolated. He wants her an outcast. He wants her questioning. He wants her drawing from the well of confusion. Life has flipped her upside down five times. She's an outcast. She's mocked. She's talked about. She's pushed up against the wall. Her mind is spinning out of control in confusion. You know, we can be confused about our situation, about what's happening, but we can also be confused about confusion. It's a hard concept 
to understand when our mind goes into this state of confusion. Curtis had an experience last year of, of his mind going into a state of confusion right on the racetrack. He actually did flip his car upside down. Now, I know you're imagining this car rolling over and over and over with smoke and flames and an explosion, but none of that happened. This is Curtis, not Tom Cruise. <laughs> it wasn't very serious. It was really more of a slow rollover, kind of more like a turtle. Now, don't get me wrong, Curtis is not afraid of racing. He is a bold driver, and he has no fear on the track. But this experience was something he had never had before. And being upside down in his car and still strapped in, he felt disoriented and confused and trapped. He couldn't think straight. He couldn't even think to pull the the safety release and, and unlatch himself. He was hyperventilating, sweating, and he had a full-blown panic attack. Now, the psychology behind this is uh, something that we've heard before. It is the fight, flight, or freeze response. Now, what happens is our, our brain has a filing system. And so when we experience something like touching a hot stove, our brain files that away, and we know now not to touch the hot stove. So when we experience a trauma, what the brain does is it goes back through that filing system, and it tries to find a similar experience that we've had to know how am I going to handle this? Am I gonna fight? Am I gonna run? Or am I gonna freeze? And if there's no experience to land on, the thoughts just roll around in our head and it causes a state of confusion, even anxiety and even panic attacks. Have you ever known somebody going through something and, and you didn't understand why they were reacting the way that they were? Like, can't they just get over it? Why is this taking so long? Their brain is processing the information. Or maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you're going through something. And no one understands it. They haven't been through what you've been through. They haven't experienced it. They don't know how you're feeling. And you can be like this woman where you're isolated. You're alone and you sink into that well of confusion. But we need to be careful because we don't want to draw from that well. We don't want to draw from the well of confusion because it is the enemy's well. 1 Corinthians 14, and I love the King James Version. It says, for God is not the author of confusion. Say it with me but of peace. We want to draw from the well of peace. Now this woman, she goes to the well to be alone. 
but she meets Jesus. And I love this part of the story because Jesus is waiting for her. He knew she was going to be there. He shouldn't have been there. The Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't have anything to do with each other. The Jews considered the Samaritans to be half-breeds, even called them dogs. And they would actually avoid going through this, this area. They would take the long way around just so they wouldn't run into a Samaritan. But Jesus broke all the cultural norms. Not only is he a Jew and she's a Samaritan, but he's a man, she's a woman, he's a rabbi, and she's sinful. Jesus broke through all the barriers to meet with her. This is the last thing she expected. I mean, we can think that Jesus is not going to show up for me. I'm not supposed to be confused. I'm supposed to have the mind of Christ. I'm supposed to have wisdom and knowledge. I'm supposed to be drawing from the well of peace. Jesus isn't going to be there for me. He's probably angry with me or, or disappointed with me. That is the well of confusion. And God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And Jesus who is the Prince of Peace, is waiting to meet with you. Write this down if you're taking notes. Jesus meets us in our confusion. Verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Now, this term living water um, is a term that Jesus used because they would be familiar with this term. It's, it's um, fresh water, spring water, water that is moving. A well that was spring-fed would be considered to have living water. It's always available. But Jacob's well, the well that she went to draw from, is not spring-fed. It is filled from rainwater. So it's really more of a holding tank. And the water is only there during the rainy seasons, which is only a few months of the year. And the rest of the time, it's dried up. We have rainy seasons and dry seasons in our daily devotion time. We think that every time we meet with Jesus, Every time we read scripture, every time we worship with song, that the Holy Spirit's going to rain down on us. But the truth is, we go through seasons of drought. We think, it's not working anymore. I'm not getting anything out of this. I don't feel anything. And we give up during the dry season. There's a great story in the Old Testament about Samaria when it went through three years of drought. And so wells like, like Jacob's well that depended on rain to fill it would have been dried up for three 
years. Well, God sends the prophet um, Elijah to pray for rain. And Elijah prays, and then he sends his servant out to go look for rain. And a servant comes back and says, I don't see anything. And Elijah says, go look again. And he comes back and says, I don't see anything. And Elijah says, go look again. And he comes back and he says, still don't see anything. Seven times Elijah sends him out to look for rain. And on the seventh time, he sees a little cloud. And then the rain came. But what if Elijah had said, you know, it's been three years of drought. There's no point. Or what if he had stopped after the sixth time? I don't see rain coming. I don't smell any rain coming. I don't feel anything. It's not working. Many times we give up right before the rainy season. And if you're in a dry season, I have been through long, dry seasons. Can I tell you, the rain is coming. Keep showing up. Keep showing up in that chair in your living room. Keep showing up at your dining room table. Keep showing up at your desk. Keep showing up on your back porch. Tell the person next to you, keep showing up, the rain is coming. Now, have you ever known somebody going through something and and you just think, how do they do it? Like they're so strong, they're hanging on, I would have given up. They're drawing from the rainy season, from the times with God when when scripture comes alive and when you get revelation, when you feel God's presence, when you can sense him speaking to you. In the rainy season, we get stored up. Write this down. The rainy season carries us through the dry season. The rainy season carries us through the dry season, through the confusion. Verse 13 Jesus says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. How many times did this woman walk to this well? Isolated, alone, confused, and walked away still thirsty. Thirsty for truth, thirsty for answers, thirsty for clarity. This living water, this bubbling spring that Jesus talks about, it's the Holy Spirit. And in the middle of our confusion, in the middle of our drought, The Holy Spirit is working in you and for you. And he reminds you of God's truth. 
Jesus is with us in our confusion. Verse 25, the woman says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one they, they call Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Now remember, the Samaritans are confused about their beliefs. So the woman is saying, I know God exists, but I don't know him. I know he exists in truth, but I don't know that he exists in spirit. I, I don't know him personally. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. How does she believe that he's the Messiah? He doesn't look like the king of kings or the savior of Israel. He's just a man who's weak and tired. He's weary. He needs water. But when he says, I am the Messiah, she believed him because he knew her. She says, I believed because he told me everything I've ever did. He knew her story. He knew everything about her. God knows me better than I know myself. He knows my struggle. He knows my question. He knows what I need before I ask. And Jesus doesn't leave us in our confusion. He speaks into the confusion like no one else can. Tell the person next to you, Jesus speaks to your confusion. Now, this, this encounter that the woman had at Jacob's well with Jesus, this actually takes place at a fork in the road. Now, you know, a fork in the road, we know this. It's, it's a, a point of decision. Am I going to follow down this path or am I going to go down this path? And in this moment, this fork in the road was a moment for this woman to make a decision. Am I going to walk away from Jesus? Because she could have done that. Or am I going to stay here and spend time with him? She could have just gone back to her ordinary day. But because she stopped and spent time with Jesus, this ordinary place became holy ground. Every day, we are faced with the same decision. Every day is a fork in the road for us. Will I stop and sit in the presence of God? Or am I going to hit that snooze button? Will I take time to read my Bible? Or am I going to stop at my favorite coffee shop along the way to work? Am I going to take time to, to pray, to, to talk to Jesus? Or am I going to Snapchat my friends and get lost in TikTok? Now, none of these things are, are bad. Just do them after you spend time with Jesus. And just ask, am I headed to the, wall of, to the well of confusion or am I headed to the well of peace? When Curtis was upside down, flipped over in his car, he was not moving. He was not trying to get out. He 
he wasn't even thinking about getting unstrapped. He was trapped in this state of confusion. And thank God his car wasn't on fire or anything like that. But the, the safety crew, they, they came down to him and they checked on him and they talked to him and they calmed him down. And you would think being the safety crew that they would have unstrapped him, gently pulled him out of the car, let the medical team tend to him. Did they do that? No. This is Oklahoma dirt track racing, people. They left him strapped in that car, flipped the car back over with him in it. (laughs) Now, you would think that after such a traumatic experience that he would have been like, I am done for the night. Load me up and take me home. But this is Curtis we're talking about. He gets back on the track and finishes the race. This is what life with Jesus is like. He doesn't always do what we think he's going to do. And I love the woman at the well. I love her response to Jesus when he says, I'm going to give you living water. She says, she's just bold with Jesus. And she says, let me tell you the facts. (laughs) You don't have a bucket. You don't have a rope. And Jacob's well is not spring fed. Where are you going to get this living water? How are you going to make this happen? In the middle of our confusion, we're like that with God. Like, God, let me tell you the facts. I can't decide on my career. My finances are out of control. My marriage or my health is upside down. Nothing is working and my well is dried up. What can you do? And he responds to us, if you only knew who you were speaking to. Now, let me tell you, it is okay to be bold with Jesus. It is okay to tell him the facts. It is okay to confess your confusion. But the Lord says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. Jesus speaks to our confusion. He breaks through the barriers of our confusion. He will flip you right side up. He will put you back on the track because he wants you in the race. He wants you to finish the race because on the other side of confusion is victory. Yes. Can you just imagine Jesus doing donuts with you in victory lane? <laughs> when you sit with him in that chair, at that table, at the desk, out on the porch, That well of confusion, it dries up. And he fills you with a fresh, bubbling spring of living water. That ordinary place becomes holy ground. Lord, thank you. 
thank you that we don't have to go far and wide to search for you. We can find you in our ordinary place. And you're there waiting for us. And you make it holy ground. Father, some of my friends here today, they are pushed up against the wall. They're spinning out of control. Some of them are just upside down. Lord, will you, will you draw them in? Will you speak to them, speak to their confusion? Will you bring them, Lord, to the well of peace? In Jesus' name, amen. We hope the message you heard both encourages you and inspires you. Yeah, we'd love for you all to come and see us at Core Church at 10 a.m. any Sunday. And if we can support you in any way or you'd like to get connected with us, there are links in the description below. Thanks again for joining us online.